Well, hello. Welcome back. Glad you hung around. I was listening back to the first part of the episode, and quite honestly, it seemed a little um, depressing, and I felt a little bit bad about that. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I was being uh, somewhat facetious, maybe a little bit humorous. I don't know. I was kind of hoping so, but it, I don't want to upset anybody. I don't want you guys to think that uh, you're not supposed to come here. I don't want you to think that it's like the most horrible place in the entire world, but it's tough here, you know, it's tough, and I love this town, but sometimes I think, man, I've spent so much time here trying to make it in this business, and it's just, um, you know, you know, it didn't turn out the way I thought it would be, but on the other hand, I've had a pretty good life of going around singing my songs and telling stories and, and doing stuff, and I think some of my, if you want to call it negativity, negativity about everything comes because I left a daughter here back in the day when my daughter Sandy was very young. I lived in Nashville with her mom and um, we split up. You know, we got a divorce. That happens. And so I was headed to, to Denmark to play. Denmark, where I live now and have lived for the better part of the last 25, 26 years. And um, so when I left, it was a complicated time in my life. And Sandy was just a kid. She was only little, seven to eight years old. And her mom and I split up. And Sandy and I had always been very close because I was a daytime daddy because I worked at night playing music or doing DJ stuff, being on the radio. And um, so I got to be her daytime daddy. So when her mom and I split up and I left, it might have been, I'm not going to say it's more complicated than other people that whose dads move away from their daughters, but I had been home with her a lot, so it's hard. And it was never in my intent to leave Nashville back 23, 24 years ago for good. It was never my intent. I had every intention of coming back. But Sandy's mom and I had split up, and I had a new girlfriend, and she was getting ready to have a baby. And uh, that woman is now my wife, but um, at that time, she was getting ready to have a baby, and she's Danish, and we were here in the U.S. She was here with me in Nashville. And again, I was not making any money. I was literally doing the job I told you about of spraying dumpsters out with a garden hose. And the rest of the time, during the first part of the morning, I would be up at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning. And then in the afternoon, I was on the radio at, in the morning in the afternoon drive time hours as, you should forgive me, right away Ray, doing traffic reports. Driving around in the van using a prehistoric cell phone, CB radio, whatever contact I could to get back in the station and give tra traffic reports on the air. If I saw an accident, I reported on it. And of course, we were listening on the police scanners, CBs, all the other radios we had to, to keep up on all the accidents that were out there. And we would pull up at the scene in our little radio van with all the antennas whipping around and the logo on the side. And I often wondered, what the hell do those people think of this van sitting there and the guy not getting out and doing anything? He's like literally not offering any roadside assistance. Well, that's not true. We offered, we had bottles of water and maybe some snacks or whatever that were from another sponsor that we would 
you know, over to the stranded motorist. And I always often wondered what some some good old boy with a flat tire that was keeping him from his job thought of this, you know, guy in a radio polo coming up and handing him a bottle of water and uh, some Reese's pieces. But anyway, I'm making no money. So I've got a, a pregnant girlfriend and I'm making no money. And I've got a seven-year-old daughter in Nashville. So I thought, okay, you know what? I'm going to go back to my mom's house for a while. But the plan was always to come back. You know, the plan was always to come back to Nashville. When we got there to my mom's house, again, I wasn't making any money. And um, Blood and I were going to have a baby. So she was going to be going to the indigent or poverty or whatever you want to call it ward at a hospital in Baltimore. And to be quite frank, it wasn't the cleanest place in the world and it wasn't the safest neighborhood in the world. And I got to thinking of the insanity of taking a beautiful young Danish woman who comes from a country that has the highest quality of healthcare you can possibly ask for, uh, for free, and forcing her to go to this kind of place. That was number one on my, I don't think I want to do this kind of thing. And number two was the fact that I was walking through the supermarket there in Baltimore. And I wanted to get my little girl, I wanted to get Sandy a coloring book or something that she could have. I wanted to send her a little gift. So, of course, like every supermarket, there's that little section with books and toys and little plastic stuff for kids. And there was coloring books there. And it was something from whatever Disney movie was popular all those years ago. Maybe Aladdin. Strikes me it was Aladdin because she had a little black cocker spaniel at the time named Jasmine. So um, I picked up the coloring book. And it was maybe a dollar and 29 cents. And I realized that I was going to have to make a choice between getting that coloring book my kid or getting um, milk and bread because I couldn't afford both I couldn't afford to do both and I thought about it I was a reasonably popular entertainer at that time in Denmark I had built a pretty good career over there playing in resort areas and, and uh, singing for tourists and they paid for that sort of thing over there so I went home to Lauda and I said we're going back to Denmark and she was like, are you sure? You want to leave the U.S.? And I was like, yeah. Because I'm never going to have to choose again between buying my daughter a coloring book and buying food. I'm never going to have to make that choice again. So we went back to Denmark, and I made a very, very good living for a long time. And Sandy would come and see us as um, an unaccompanied minor in those days. You know, she would leave on the airplane in Nashville, eight, nine years old, just a kid with that little plastic thing hanging around her neck, the little envelope that had the uh, ticket and the passport and all that stuff in there. And the uh, flight attendants would, would take care of her, put her in the front of the plane and make sure she was okay. And she would come to Denmark and we would have Christmases and we would have summers and other holidays together. She met Lotus parents and grandparents and everyone loved her. She's, she's just a great kid. She always has been. And she loved being there with us. She loved coming to Denmark. And she said that even though our relationship has been 
whatever because of the divorce and I've lived away that that experience of going to another country when she was so young and seeing another culture when she was so young really opened up her her mind and her world and she is she is grateful for that time and she's very close to my wife and I remain very close to her mom we be very good friends very good friends one of my greatest memories of being in my life is that I came back to Ocean City Maryland with um, my then wife Lauda, my daughter Savannah, and my son Justin, and Sandy's mom and her family also maintained a vacation home down in Ocean City, and I can still see my ex-wife's father playing on the beach with the two children from my second marriage after I had been divorced from his daughter. That's just being civilized, man. That just shows the kind of man he was and the kind of good fortune I've had with with people in my life. But anyway, Sandy would come to to Denmark and we had a great time. It was always a great time. I mean, my daughter was there, man. But you know, there was just always that tinge of sadness in the air. Always that, like I always say, the Danish summer, no matter how warm it is, how many nice it is, it, there's always that little hinge, hint of Scandinavian chill underneath everything. And that was the way this was. She was there and I loved her being there. But you knew she was going to have to leave, you know. She was going to have to go home. No matter how much of a great time we were having, she was going to have to go home. And that was hard. That was hard. And so, well, we kept on doing it. And then she came, summer, holidays, Christmas sometime, Easter sometime. And and one summer I'm standing there waiting. It's May. School's out in Nashville. So she's coming to Denmark to, to visit with us. And I'm waiting for her down at Kastrup Airport and um, Copenhagen. And I'm waiting for her flight to come in for Reykjavik. She was on Iceland Air. She had come from the States, from Nashville to Baltimore, Baltimore to Reykjavik, and then on to to uh, Copenhagen. So I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. And now remember, it's hard for some of you younger people to understand, but there are no cell phones at this point. There is no cell phone to uh, put this, <laughs> to uh, get this kid contact with the, this kid if, if I can't find her. And uh, no internet, no iPad, no iPhone, there's nothing. You know, in those days, Again, young people, there was a chance to not be in contact with anybody. And if you were lost sometimes, man, you were just lost for a while until you found yourself. So anyway, I'm waiting and I can see on the screen there that her plane has landed. I can see that they're in baggage, as it says. The baggage thing came up, the little suitcases dancing across the screen. And so I waited. I figured she'd be out in a minute. And um, I waited. And then, now again, pre-9-11, it's pretty casual. People are coming out of the, the gate there and kind of hanging around, talking. And then I noticed that the flight crew was, was out, the Iceland Air flight crew. I recognized it well. I flew Iceland Air myself all the time. And they were coming out. And that was unusual that the flight crew was out and all of the people were not off the plane, you know? So I was thinking, oh, no. 
she took the bus over to the Blue Lagoon and somehow the bus broke down or she's in Reykjavik somewhere or maybe she never even made it from Baltimore and I'm turning around to go to the information desk and uh, this rather tall, attractive, young, red-headed woman walked up to me and said, Hi, Dad. I guess, you know, it hadn't been that long that I had seen her, but it had been some months, maybe eight months or so. And you know, when kids hit those 11, 12, 13-year-old periods, the changes that happen in a very short time are amazing. You know, you go from being a kid to all of a sudden wearing your hair differently, wearing styles differently, looking, wanting to look a certain way, and there she was. She was just a different kid. She had her hair cut in a short bob, and she was really pretty, but she was not a little girl anymore. And that moment, I um, realized that, you know, that this adult, intelligent, civilized separation that we had been doing all of these years was causing me to miss out on a lot of things. And, and you know, it had a price. The best way to put it is it, it had a price. And I've made up a song about that. And if I can figure out the technology, I'm going to try to play it for you right now. She held back her tears, but I felt her heartbreak. And I told her I was going away. I said nothing would change, but she knew better. When I turned around, I heard her say, Daddy, who chased the monsters from under my play baseball with me How will I know where to send the invitation to invite the prince to tea White lace dresses Mademoiselle Daddy look what I made all by myself Oreo cookies, Kool-Aid tea For only two guests, the princess and me I'd give up my life to dry just one of her tears And have back her princess years We'd sit with our cups on her bedroom floor Stand on my feet and we dance A little girl's dreams Turned her dad to a prince And her room to a castle of friends White lace dresses for Mademoiselle Daddy, look what I made All by myself Oreo cookies, Kool-Aid tea For only two guests, a princess and me 
give up my life to dry just one of her tears and have back her princess years. the years and the miles came an invitation from the princess to her wedding day the end of a childhood I let slip through my fingers daddy will you come to give me away no fairy tale wedding ever Ever saw more beautiful bride? I trembled as I gave my little girl's hand to the handsome prince now by her side. White laces, Mademoiselle. Daddy, look what I made a life for myself. Room full of guests Stand up to see One more minuet For the princess and me She stepped up on my feet And smiled through her tears And forgave me Her princess years So what the hell am I supposed to say after that? I have no idea. But um, that's the Princess Years. That's a song I wrote about my separation from Sandy. And my other daughter makes her way in there, too, because, you know, this business has separated me from my kids a lot. Whether I'm still living in the house with them or whether I'm not, I'm still separated from them quite a bit, traveling and doing my music and I love doing music and I love being out here and I love being part of the the business but the toll that it takes on that part of your psyche is uh, is tough and you know I um I might just I'm sitting here thinking again you guys know how this works I freeform this off the top of my head and all of a sudden I'm talking about all this stuff and it strikes me that 
I might just hear play another song for you, but it won't be me doing it. I'm going to find a copy. Again, I'm on the road. I don't have any of my stuff with me. I'm traveling around. So I'm going to try to find a copy of a great song that was written by a great songwriter named Jesse Winchester. And Jesse wrote this song some years back. Jesse's no longer with us, passed away. Jesse was kind of famous or infamous or whatever. He was just, well, just a great songwriter. Wrote so many good songs. But um, he was also a draft resistor back during the Vietnam days. And he went to Canada and he got a pardon. But his career was certainly derailed by the fact that he decided not to go to Vietnam. Now, he's always had a great underground following. People knew his songs and knew who he was. And he wrote, in my mind, probably the best song about being a traveling musician. And as I said, again, if I can figure out the technology, I think I'll play that for you. A showman's life is a smoky bar And the fever chase the tiny star It's a motel room and a lonely wife It's what I've seen is a showman's life Nobody told me about this part told me all about pretty girls and the wine and the money and the good times but no mention of all the wear and tear on an old honky tonk is hard Hell, I should have known it. Nobody told me about this part. Cause a boy will dream like a dream would do of the great wide way. The dream comes true. But a phony smile and the colored lights. It's all there is to the showman's life. Nobody told me about this part. They told me all about the pretty girls and the wine and the money and the good times. There was no mention. All the wear and tear on an old honky tonk is hard. I might have known it, nobody told me about this part. No, I should have known it, <laughs> but nobody told me about.
So I could not figure out the technology of how to get a nicely recorded version of that song in there. So I found an old guitar here at Chip's house. And Chip's a keyboard player. He doesn't have the greatest guitars in the world. This is called, this is a children's guitar. It was in a box. It's a CN Blue high quality guitar made in China. Little nylon string thing and I fumbled my way through a version of that great song for you because I wanted you to hear it. And you know, the thing is with my my relationship with Sandy, it, it, it of course grows. She's a grown woman now in her 30s. Had a good, uh, good career, worked for the Nashville Predators hockey team. Doing other work now. She's uh, working as a marketing manager, writing ad copy and doing very well. Um, and yet we still have the same kind of grown-up relationship that we had when she was a kid. This show is happening as, uh, as I'm doing it. I mean, I make up this stuff on a daily basis. And um, she, I had dinner with her last night here in Nashville. Of course, took out to a nice restaurant, pasta place. Now, it was a good restaurant. I'm not going to lie to you. It was a good restaurant. And we went there. She suggested it. But she had something that had a fancy Italian name to it. I don't know what it was. She had had a fancy name, and the name added up to noodles in a butter sauce with Parmesan. And I had something called pistachio ravioli. We all know what ravioli is, the little squares in a butter sauce with, instead of meat, pistachios. A couple of glasses of sweet tea I was driving, so I wasn't drinking. Cannoli afterwards. Um, I think there was a little gelato, maybe. hundred bucks. <laughs> Dropped a hundred bucks on buttered noodles. Yep, yep, that's today's world. hundred bucks. Well, I mean, the pasta was made fresh. As I said, it was excellent. But when you get right down to it, it was a bowl of noodles with butter and cheese on it. And I paid a hundred bucks for it. So, anything was we were having a great time visiting, talking about her new apartment. And she had a rough time moving in over the weekend. And those are the kind of things that, you know, they make it hard on me. She had a rough time moving in, trouble with the movers, trouble with this, trouble with that. And, you know, I'm not here to help her. I'm not here to help her. And it makes me feel pretty darn bad. It makes me feel like a bad father. It makes me feel like a not engaged father. I mean, we have a good relationship and we're close. But her mom handles a lot of details that I think I should handle. I guess it's kind of a cautionary tale. You know, I don't know. I don't know. I certainly am not going to regret having my son and my daughter with my other wife and having a beautiful life and everything. But, yeah, I guess it's okay for me to say at this point in my life, 66 years old, getting ready to make that long last turn toward home, wherever home winds up to be down the road. And I'm going to look back over my shoulder just a little bit and say, yeah, maybe I could have handled some of that a little bit better. Well, that's radio for today. If you're listening on the podcast, please tell folks about it. Please tell folks about it. Tell them that you like it. Tell them it's fun and it's funny and it's sad and it's, you know, it's worth listening to. If you're listening on the actual radio, God bless you. I like people that listen on the radio. I'm an old radio dog. Tell people about it. Give us a like. I'm Ray Weaver. I'll see you very soon on the next edition of Radio. Next time, I should be back in Denmark.